This week at Hope Point. Romans 11, the whole thing's based on an olive tree. Branches that were once part of it broken off because of disbelief. Branches that were not part of it grafted in because they believed. The olive tree is Christ. People come in experiencing the life of God because of belief, grace, belief, faith. So the wonderful thing about this olive tree in Romans 11 is no matter how far from God you've traveled, no matter how long you've been away from God, if today you would come and say, I believe in Christ, I want to come, I want to be grafted in, He will graft you in today. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Richard speaks to us from the book of Revelation. 1923 to 1947, the nation that we primarily call Israel was under British rule. It was the desire of Great Britain to allow and provide a place for the Jews to return to their homeland in Palestine. But on November 29, 1947, the United Nations, under Resolution 181, said that the land is going to be divided between the Jews and Palestinian Arabs. In response to this, May 14th, 1948, Israel rejected Resolution 181, declared themselves to be an independent and sovereign nation. As soon as they did that, They were invaded by six Arab countries, including Egypt, Syria, Transjordan, Lebanon, and Iraq. At that time, there were only 600,000 Jews living in the land of Israel, and it was almost facing those nations invading. The the invading nations got as close as 25 miles to Tel Aviv. It was almost as if fighting six countries with handguns. There was almost no army within Israel. But within nine months, Israel had not only kept their land, but had taken 60% of the Arab land that the UN had divided all the way from the West Bank to the Gaza Strip. Today, Israel, that 600,000 now numbers nine and a half million. It's one of the leaders in technology in the world. Got one of the most powerful armies in the world, regarded as the seventh strongest nation of the 192 countries in the world. So when you look at the question posed by the title of my sermon, what will become of Israel, most people answer that from a geopolitical uh, viewpoint and say, well, Israel prevailed miraculously in 1948. They did it again in 1967. So they say, we just assume that the geopolitical miracles will continue and that Israel will forever be in the land of Palestine. When I was a teenager, In the 70s, it was a huge um, question. Ever since then, it's been continuing big from in the political world that I started paying attention to, is Christians were wondering about Israel. What's gonna become of Israel? Christians have been asking that question honestly since the first century. The disciples standing outside of the city of Jerusalem shortly before Jesus Christ returned to heaven Ask him about geopolitical Israel. It's interesting. The last thing you could ask Jesus, this is what they ask about. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, the, the disciples definitely asked the right person. Uh, Jesus was a brilliant Jewish rabbi. 
and happened to be the Messiah at the same time. He had seen all the promises of God throughout Scripture. And so Jesus responded in a very direct, not cruel, but you couldn't miss his answer kind of way. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. That was a nice way of saying, mind your business. Stay in your lane, bro. That I don't want you to focus on that land. Jesus did not say the land was unimportant. He did not say their question was irrelevant. He's just going to tell them in a minute there was something more important than that land. We would never say the land of Israel is not important because we would never say that any nation's land is not important. Our hearts are grieved right now of what's happening in Ukraine because they're losing their land. Women are raped, men are being killed, families separated, and soon there will be a worldwide shortage in grain coming out of Ukraine because someone invaded their land. Countries can't exist unless they have sovereign control over their land. A country goes away when there are no borders. So we care about Ukraine, we care about Israel. The question's a legitimate question. Jesus said there simply is a better question than Israel's land, and he answered it in verse eight of Acts one. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. They were asking a question about one track of land, 50 miles wide and 300 miles long. What about that land? And Jesus said, I want the witness of what I've done on the cross and the resurrection go to all lands. You're focused on one piece of land in the Middle East. I want you to focus on Iraq and China, Vietnam, Indonesia, Russia, Ukraine, Poland, Germany, France, England, India, Pakistan, Egypt, Libya, Nigeria, Kenya, Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Honduras, Haiti, America, Canada, and a few hundred other places. Everywhere, the land is important to God. Because every place on earth, the gospel needs to be announced. The disciples ask an utterly fascinating question. Jesus gave an utterly fascinating answer. And you sort of want to say to Jesus when he does not answer their question, what are you thinking, Jesus? You are the ultimate Jew. Surely you're going to talk about the land. I'll tell you what Jesus was thinking. We pretty much have that answer at the end of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So what Jesus said, this is what he was thinking. Israel will one day be destroyed, as will America, as will Poland, as will Germany. All lands, the earth, this earth is going away. So the most important thing that can happen in life is while you're living in this land to make reservations for the next land. That's the land. That's the land everybody should be focused on. And that's why he told his disciples, go into all the earth. Go to all the lands, to Alaska, Alabama, go to Algeria, go to all the lands so people will be ready. That's why Jesus began his ministry by saying, making a promise about all the lands. He said it in his, almost his first sermon, in his first introduction, he said in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek for they will inherit what? Israel? No, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit all the earth. Speaking of the new heavens 
and the new earth. Jesus was never saying the land of Israel is unimportant. He's just saying it's not the ultimate thing to focus on. The ultimate thing to focus on is where will you spend eternity? Where will the Jews spend eternity? Will they be in the new heaven and the new earth or will they be eternally separated from God? Will, you, will this be the last, will this be the closest you've ever had to joy right here when you leave this land because you didn't make reservations for the next land, the new earth? You know, it's amazing about the land. Even when Israel finally inherited the land, the promises were, I'm gonna give you the land. Even when they inherited the land, they weren't satisfied. God raised up a great leader named Joshua to lead them in. And this is what happened when they arrived. Hebrews 4, 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So even when Joshua led them finally to the land of rest, they weren't satisfied because that was not the destination. I did a wedding yesterday in Traveler's Rest and I didn't know anything about the town, but I was at a restaurant and I sat and read the history of Traveler's Rest in the 1700s when settlers were coming across the Blue Ridge Mountains driving their cattle uh, northward. They stopped at this little place to rest and it was called Traveler's Rest. So whether you live in Traveler's Rest or you live in Palestine, the land cannot give you spiritual satisfaction. That's why Jesus did and I emphasize the land. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus emphasized himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And his message to all of you today is that whatever you have in your life apart from the Lord, it can't give you rest and satisfaction and joy and peace and power. It's a person, not a place that you're looking for. It's a person, not a thing that you're looking for. You know, it's amazing. The land was important because it was just a reminder of the rest that was going to come with Jesus. That's why we refer to that theologically as the land was a shadow of things to come. I mean, when you go outside today and you hold up your hand and the sun casts a shadow on the ground and you can see your hand wiggling on the concrete, what is more important, the shadow or your hand itself, which would you rather have? <laughs> yeah, so the land in the Old Testament was a shadow of Jesus in the New Testament. Even when Abraham, who was walking toward that land, Abraham, of course, is the father of the Jewish race, even he knew that there was something else. As he was walking to the land, look at Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, now that's the father of the Jews, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed, he went. So he's walking to the land of promise. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Well, when you're in a stranger in a foreign country, you know that that's not your home. He knew it wasn't home. He lived in tents. You live in tents, you don't build a house because you know this is not home. That's why they lived in tents. This is not home. As did Isaac and Jacob's son and grandson who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. My goodness, have you ever been to anywhere in the world where you, you drive into that city and said that this city was built by God? It doesn't exist yet. Even when they were in the land, they knew there was a better city. 
and there was a better country. Everybody in the Old Testament knew the land was not the stopping place. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. So the question for everyone is this, when you leave this land, have you made reservations for that one? Because you can only make reservations while you're still alive in this land. So asking about the land of Israel is simply not the best question. The more important question is not land, but people. What is the relationship of the people, not to the land in Israel, what is the relationship of the people of Israel to God? That's the question of the New Testament. What is your relationship to God? Not the land, not where you live, not what you do. Are you rightly related to God? You know, the sobering question regarding the present status of Israel is presently, those who are alive in the land of Israel are separated from God, and if they died today, they would be separated from God forever. Because they have relied upon the land, they thought the land was the final resting place, they thought the land was the big deal, and they have missed God and exchanged God for a hope in the, in the land. Now the Bible is very clear, we're gonna to get to that toward the end of the sermon, that through the preaching of the gospel and through the praying of the church, that Israel will leave their focus on the land at some point in the future, and Israel will look to Jesus Christ and many will be saved. I want to spend a few minutes beginning with the verse that Ronnie read just a moment ago of Israel's tragic departure from God for these 21 centuries now and how it grieved the Apostle Paul, the ultimate Jew. And he said this in Romans 9 that Ron, Ronnie read a minute ago. I speak the truth in Christ. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. I have no idea what kind of love this is. I don't have it. I don't have it. I'm willing to give up Jesus, I'm willing to give up heaven because I so long for somebody else to get in. Paul was driven by this passion because it broke his heart that the Jews for whom God had come, had missed, the, had missed everything. They had missed everything. And so he grieves, and the next verse in Romans, all that God had done to make them the people that were ready for the, for the salvation of Christ. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. He, he wanted to bring them into the family. They saw the glory of God. They had the Ten Commandments, the covenants. They received the law, the instructions of God of how to live, how to please God. The temple worship, they had the first, all the great first praise band and all the promises of the Old Testament. You love reading the Psalms, like Psalm 23, they had all of that. Theirs are the patriarchs, they had great leaders. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever praised. So everything they had in the Old Testament was leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And by the way, this is one of the few precious places in the Bible where the Messiah is actually called God. No doubt about it, how the, how the Old and New Testament feel about Jesus Christ. Messiah is God, and you could say it like this, to reject Jesus as Messiah is nothing less than rejecting God 
himself. The Bible calls Messiah God. In the second book of the Bible, Exodus, we see that day in history where God first came to Israel and said, I'm choosing you to do a work around the world. It's beautiful. They had been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. God freedom from slavery. Then they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Then they come to this mountain called Sinai. Look what happened on the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt when I rescued you and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You can't miss this. What is the condition of this promise? If, if you obey me fully, you're going to be my special nation. Aren't you glad God didn't come to you with that if? You're gonna get in, Hunter, if you obey me fully and keep the covenant. So, but this was the condition of the covenant. If you obey me fully, well, obviously Israel did not obey the covenant. Their whole history throughout the Old Testament is up and down, sometimes loyal to God, sometimes not. And because Israel was never willing and able to keep this covenant, it all set them up for the message of the New Testament is you need someone who will obey this covenant for you because you've proven you can't. This is why Jesus Christ has come to earth to fully obey the covenant that God gave to Israel. I think we could say it like this. The greatest need for a covenant-breaking person is to be forgiven by a covenant-keeping Messiah. That's what Jesus has come to do. Well, when Jesus came to earth and he told them, your commitment to the rules and the regulations and the ceremonies of the Old Testament is not enough because of all the ones you don't obey, and you need me to take you into the presence of God when he told them their Jewishness was not enough and they needed a person to save them, not religious laws. They were so offended by that, it so hurt their pride. They killed Jesus Christ, crucified him, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And the first place that Jesus sent his spirit, sent the Holy Spirit, was to Jerusalem to give them another chance and the first preaching that was done was, you killed the Messiah. God has raised him from the dead. Repent. And thousands that day of Jews did come to Christ. But ever since that first century coming to Christ, many, many Jews, the majority of Jews, have said no to Jesus. They said no to the work of God through Christ. And to many people, because we've got 21 centuries of Israel saying no to God, it looks like the plan of God Established back in Exodus 19, it looks like the plan of God has failed. Like God came up with a bad plan. That's why Paul writes Romans 9 through 11, and he starts by saying it has not failed. It is not as though God's word had failed. 
God's plan has not failed. And here's why. This is what we're going to learn in Romans 9. Because God tells us in Romans 9, I never intended, I never purposed, it was never in my mind that all of the nation would be saved. But only those whom I graciously choose. He begins to explain that in Romans 9, 6. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Like you look at the whole nation of Israel. He said, well, not all of them are truly God's people. There's only going to be some. In other words, now we're starting to see the whole plan of God was not all of the world will be saved. Not all of Israel will be saved. Not everybody who comes from that 50, 300 mile long, 50 mile wide strip, not everybody of the 9.5 million will be saved. He says it again in verse 7. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. Again, Abraham being the father of Jews, and you say, not everybody who came from Abraham's family will ever come to God. And the reason why so many don't come to God from Israel is because they don't want to come in the way that God has said come. Their choice, our choice. And, and God, God, God tells in the next verses, it's nice, nice, he doesn't leave us guessing what does that mean. He tells us the way of God that they rejected. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned or named or called or invited. So Abraham had two children, Isaac and Ishmael, but it was only through Isaac that the, the people who were going to come to God and be part of his family and kingdom, it was only through the line of Isaac that they would be called and included. You say, well, what made the birth of Isaac so special? Why is that so special? Why is that the way of God? Well, he knew you were going to ask that, so he tells us what it is about Isaac that's so special. It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. It's already letting us know there's going to be a difference. But it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's children. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. What does that mean? Well, that story, that last quote comes from Genesis 15 through 17, one of the more fascinating stories in, in the Old Testament. And um, <clears throat> this is what happened. God came to Abraham and Sarah, husband and wife, and said, you're going to have a son. And through that son, I'm going to do my work around the world. Well, that sounded good. Well, 25 years later, I think Sarah at that time was 80, 89. Abraham was 99. Still no, no child. Well, sometime in that period of 25 years, Abraham and Sarah, I'm sure you've never done this to God. You say, enough. Enough waiting on you. I'll fix this in my own strength. So at Sarah's suggestion, Abraham went to bed with his maid, their maid. And they made a baby. 
They made a boy. And so Abraham is saying, wow, I fixed it. God can't fix his own promise. I'm stepping in for God, my way, my strength, my ingenuity, my power, my resourcefulness. No need to wait on God. I've got it. And so that's why in verse 8, God said, not so fast. It's not going to be the children of physical descent. In other words, it's not going to be the children that you can make. It's going to be the child that I send by way of supernatural power when I bring life into Sarah's womb when she's 99 and you're 100 and nobody will say it happened because of your strength. Who has a baby when they're 100? They did because of the supernatural power of God producing life where there was no life. So again, God made the promise to them. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 9 here, this is very important that we, we grasp this. Coming to God means that you come to a time in your life where you say, I don't have the resources to save myself. I cannot make spiritual life occur in my heart through my goodness, my church attendance, my sacrifices. I'm a family guy. God, I need you to birth life in me, and this is why the Jews are currently separated from God. They will not say to the Lord, I need you to produce life in me. I can do it myself, my religion, my Jewishness. Well, this raises one of the biggest questions of all. Is God finished with Israel after 21 centuries of saying no? Is he finished? Paul asked this question in Romans 11. I asked then, did God reject his people? And the entire 11th chapter of the book of Romans is God answering that question with a resounding, whoa, no, not finished with Israel. And the first way that God proves this, I mean, that Paul proves this, he asks the question, is Israel done for? Look at all of Paul's answer. By no means. I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm a saved man. Paul said, you won't comfort that God's not finished with the Jews? Look at me. I hated Jesus more than anybody. I went to Damascus to arrest them, to imprison them, to kill them. I stood around while they were being stoned to death and loved it. And one day on my business trip to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus Christ appeared to me through a shining, radiant, holy light, and I saw that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the promised king for the Jews and the savior of the world, and I got saved. He says, God finished with the Jews? No, because I'm a Jew, and I got saved. But then he's, it's even better than that. Then he tells us, God has always been protective of a portion within the land of Israel that he was never going to let this portion of Israel ever grow hard in their heart. He was determined that they would believe. So he tells us about that through an interesting story. 
Romans 11, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. So Elijah's having a bad day. I'm the only one who loves you. You ever feel like that? Nobody works as hard as I do. And he's looking and said, God, the people of Israel are killing all your preachers. And I'm the only one left. These were, these were dark times. Eighth century BC, Elijah was the preacher and everybody else, had, he thought everybody else had been killed and Israel had traded God for the worship of a false God named Baal. Elijah cries out, I'm the only one left and look at God's response that's fortunately given to us also in Romans 11. God says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. What comfort it is that God has always in every generation been working among the Jews to make sure that some would not harden their hearts and would believe. I mean, 500 years ago, this is true. There have been some who've been leaving. A thousand years, this is true, been believing in Messiah. And the only explanation that all of Israel is not lost is because of this verse right here in Romans 11. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. This is the most important thing you may hear in 2022. If you want to be included in the kingdom of God, you have to come and throw yourself on the grace of God and say, there's not one work I have ever done for you that is going to get me into heaven. If you believe that you have any religious works, your church attendance, the way you raise your family, if you believe there's anything that you have done, then you miss the grace of God. It's, it's all or nothing. You either cast yourself on the grace of God or you rely upon your works. And Paul says, if it's by grace, it can't be works. That's why Israel is going to be saved. That's why you're here. And the possibility of going to be saved is because God's grace makes it possible. You need to think back, Abraham. Abraham tried to make it work by works. I'm going to make this baby. Got to know it's by grace when the supernatural promise, supernatural life of God, power of God comes in Sarah's. Sarah's womb. So now Paul asks the big question regarding Israel. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Everybody's asking that. 21 centuries are saying, no. Is there any hope? Did they stumble beyond recovery? Not at all. Love that. Not just no, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, that's you and me, to make Israel envious. It's unbelievable. This is like this is the beginning of a big giant cycle of history. God calls Israel, and somewhere along the way, they completely missed it. We'll probably call it the crucifixion of the Son of God. I would say that's missing it. And after Jesus was crucified, he sent his disciples to the Gentiles, to all of us. And the last numbers that I read were that 89,000 people a day through the preaching of the church and missionaries around the world, 89,000 people a day from outside of Israel that you are coming to Christ. And so the intent of God is for Israel to look at this great singing 
the, the enjoyment we have of Jesus in church, and it's supposed to make Israel envious of, my goodness, they're worshiping our Messiah. I want to get in on that. That's, that's the cycle. Israel rejected God. He began to work outside of Israel, and the work outside of Israel is supposed to make and will make Israel envious. And that stirring, this envy, this envy stirring is so strong that many people believe, and I'm among them, that this stirring will actually produce one of the great revivals at the end of history when many, many, many thousands of Jews will come to Christ as they look at the witness of the church and say, I want to know the Jesus that I have rejected. And this is how Paul says that. He, he says it twice, how big the revival will be. But if their transgression means if Israel's missing the mark means riches for the world, it's us, we got in. Their, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, again, that's us. How much greater riches will their full inclusion be? In other words, if the gospel is spreading pretty cool right now, just think what kind of attention is going to come to the world when the news people are saying, well, the church is growing and Israel is coming to Christ and saved Jews and saved Gentiles are now all over the place working together in a missionary effort that's global. How much greater will it be when we send the mission, trip, mission team to Alaska and half of them are saved Jews. Sort of, then he, he answers that again. Still, he's teasing us of how good it's gonna be with words that are complicated to us, but you kind of see the flavor now. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, they, they said no, which means we said yes. What will their acceptance, when they accept Christ, what will that be except life from the dead? That's Paul just saying, it's as if the entire, every place on earth will taste this. All these spiritually dead people around the world will be like new life, a resurrection of hearts because of the great revival that's coming to Israel. And he calls it an entire resurrection from the dead. The, the revival will be so great that he said, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Obviously, some debate on that. My opinion on that is I don't think all means all in this case because he's already made it clear in Romans 11, all the way back to chapter 9, that it's a remnant. So we say, well, what does all Israel mean? It means all those that God is presently saying, I'm not going to let your stubbornness and your hardness of heart, I'm not going to let that win out. All those that I am protecting from a spiritually hard heart, all of those will be saved. Not, but it does still depend on their faith. Because people always ask, can Israel get in apart from Christ? Nope. Nor can you. And if they did not persist, and if, I'm sorry, Romans eleven twenty three. and if they do not persist in their unbelief, see, they have to stop their unbelief. They have to believe in Christ. Everybody comes by belief in Christ. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft people in again who've said no. Wow. 
Romans 11, if you read it this afternoon, that you sort of feel like, I get the vibe of Romans 11 now. The whole thing's based on an olive tree. Branches that were once part of it broken off because of disbelief. Branches that were not part of it grafted in because they believed. The olive tree is Christ. People come in experiencing the life of God because of belief, grace, belief, faith. So the wonderful thing about this olive tree in Romans 11 is no matter how far from God you've traveled, no matter how long you've been away from God, if today you would come and say, I believe in Christ, I want to come, I want to be grafted in, he will graft you in today because he's able to graft people in. I don't know much about uh, fruit trees and there are things I had to read this week. I still don't know much about it, but I got pictures that I could understand. And so this is a picture of how to graft a branch into a tree. You first cut the tree, open it up. Then in the middle picture, you go get a little branch that you want to be part of that tree. And then on the third picture to the right, after the little branch is in the tree, you tape it. I did not really know this was possible. I, I, I missed 18 years of school. <laughs> I didn't know this was possible. Then look what happens after a while. You take the tape off. It's growing in. But this is what's happened to us. We've been grafted into God through Jesus Christ. And you know the wonderful thing about this, it says, you know, you read that verse. And if they will believe, they're going to be, Israel's grafted in again. Isn't that amazing? 21 centuries of saying no. God said, door's still open. My, my son, grandson, my grandson, whom I love as a son, my grandson's two years old. He came to spend the birthday party with us last weekend. And we gave him, we gave him a little, uh, a little toy. It's like an Etch-A-Sketch for those of you who are old school, except you have a stylus, you write on it, on the black part on the screen. And in order for that, what you've just scribbled on, for it to go away, you press the little doggy's nose. So over and over again, we're telling him, write, scribble, press nose, it goes away. Write, scribble, press the nose, Wells, and it goes away. Well, Wells is not very verbal. He's a little boy. There's too many places to go run to, pick up, unplug. He doesn't have time for this crazy thing called talking. <laughs> so he's not very verbal. I mean, on a good day, you might hear, and so I don't know what that was. That's about what it is. So when you're telling him, right, Press the nose, he goes, what? He's like, okay, I, I guess you got that, but you're not saying, I got it, Rich. So anyway, a few hours later after he played on that all afternoon, he's walking over and taking forks and knives out of the dishwasher, which is, I think is unhealthy. It's probably not good. So Lisa says, stop, Wells. He goes back, gets more. Stop, Wells. He just looks at her like, I'm going for it. He goes in for a third time, she says, in the unmistakable voice of a mother-grandmother, you're gonna regret that. 
And he looked at her and he went, boom. <laughs> he had learned, you press the nose, you go away. He does no words. Go away. These are the most tragic words that any of us, if you say, I don't know what the word sin means, it means that you tell God, go away. It's the saddest thing that can come from the human heart that you look at Jesus Christ and say, go away. But every time you have sinned in life, you have told him, go away. The most loving, powerful, holy, kind, generous person in the world, go away. And the Bible says after 21 centuries of Israel telling Jesus to go away, he says, I'm not going away. I will save you. I will save you. And for all of us in this room today, his message is, no matter how many times you've said to him, go away, if you would say today, no, I'm not telling you go away. I'm saying, I want to come to you. I want to come to you. He says, come, I'll graft you in. I'll graft you in. You're back in the family. So rather than go away, say, I'm coming to you. I'm coming. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.